It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Right now, we're going to talk some EPL, some football. It's been a very strange start to the EPL with favourites like Chelsea, Manchester United, Liverpool, all sitting outside the top four. We have a long way to go, though, and join us now is a well-respected football writer, Alex Keeble, who has been following all the action with a close eye. Morning, Alex. Appreciate you coming on the show, mate. Morning. Thanks for having me. No worries. Hey, a uh, bit of normality has come back to the EPL with the big clubs <laughs> getting back to winning circles. you got Liverpool, well, 9-0, nearly chasing down the record of 10. you got United, yeah. my United, with a... Just a humble 1-0 win. We'll take that. Chelsea, they're all back, mate. So some normality to be coming back. Were you expecting a slow start from these teams? No, I don't think anyone was quite expecting a slow start. I mean, I think with the World Cup mm. coming up uh, in winter, we thought it might slow down in the middle. It might slow down just after. But for that reason, really, I thought, well, they'd, they'd want to get off to as fast a start as possible. And yeah, it's taken, I think this is the first weekend, isn't it, when all six of them have, have won. Mm. Yeah, so it's the first weekend since we've seen the, the big six getting back to, well, just normalising the, the leaderboard. You know, you're mm. not used to seeing Chelsea or, or, or Liverpool and Manchester United at the bottle in relegation zone. So they're back up. But Liverpool, Bournemouth, mate. Oh, you tend to feel for them. It was always going to happen when they're up <laughs> against a, a Liverpool side that is hurting. And to yeah. be pumped 9-0, that's a that's pretty classy performance from Liverpool. It was. I think it's crashing back down to earth for Bournemouth. I think beating Villa on the first game of the season was a bit of a red herring in the end. I mean, Gerrard's struggling so much. It looks like Bournemouth are really going to have a tough season. Um, yeah, it was it was brilliant performance in Liverpool, of course. I mean, I think their XG mm. for the game was about 4.86. For, well, 4.8, 4.9, depending on you know whose numbers you read. So obviously it wasn't, I think, no 9 nils ever quite a 9 nil. how it plays out. You have to have a lot of luck in there too. But yeah, I mean, I think it was great to have Milner, uh, sorry, uh, Firmino back on form. He's been poor for a while now, and of course he was scoring with much every touch he had. Uh, that's important for them, I think, especially with Nuno taking time to settle. Um, I also think it was important that Milner wasn't playing, actually. I think he's been a real weak link recently. Uh, he's a bit too old for that box-to-box box, box box, uh, box box role. 
um, for me. So yeah. Can, can you believe Mo Salah? Can you believe Mo Salah wasn't even on the screen? I know he's captain of my <laughs> FPL team as well. I, I can't believe it. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Two hey, really big hey, meetings yeah. for him as well, wasn't it? So it really could have been ten. It's, it's a bit of a a, um, a hoodoo, really, isn't there in the Premier League? There's no one can get past nine. It seems like that's just the yeah. that's the, he, the ceiling. It would seem. They need Martin O'Fire, mate. He got past nine. He got ten tries against us one day. Hey. Elin Harlan showed up once again. How special do you think he will be? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's six goals in four games, and I don't even think he's been as good as he can be. You know, he's, he's coming in and out of matches. I know he's not the kind of player that, that does get heavily involved uh, in games. I know that's kind of one of the things that people worried about with him and a Guardiola team. But even in the way that he does normally play, I think he's at about seven, eight out of ten at the moment. You know, I've seen him do a lot more for Dortmund. So, yeah, it's absolutely frightening. That third goal in particular, I mean, he plays like, you know, he's he's playing against five-year-olds, like an adult against kids. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. The, the, the effortless strength, the way he just clipped it into the bottom corner, <laughs> it's really scary. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to get close to City this year. Mate, well, how's he been taken to over in, in the EPL, mate? Obviously, you have a huge fan following, and he is probably, is he the biggest name in, in the EPL at the moment? And I watched that game, and you you're right, like the, the way he scored that goal, he pretty much just manhandled the defender and then just got in front of him and kicked it into the bottom corner. Like he's a he's a bit of a phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, he's a real superstar, and I think he's probably the first world star that's chosen to go to the Premier League. Actually, often these players go to Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern, PSG. So it's quite a coup for the league yeah. to actually have a star on the rise choosing to come to the Premier League. Um, is he the best player in the division? I mean. I think there's a good chance he'll break the goal-scoring record this year. And, yeah, I, I mean, oh, for that alone, I think you've probably got to say he is. Yeah. Hey, do you think we'll see another title race between Liverpool and City or have Liverpool missed the boat? It's really unlikely. I mean, I think, I, I can't remember where I got this from, unfortunately, but I saw some analysis recently that, on average, a league, a league, uh, a league title winner only draws four games in a season. So they've already drawn two in their first three games. Obviously, they've, they've, they've won their fourth, but I mean, they've got so much work to do. I, I would think that actually Spurs and Arsenal are probably in a better position now, especially with, I think they've got 10 or 11 injuries. Liverpool, they're all muscle injuries, which tells you how tired the players are. That's normally a sign they're being overworked. And I think they've got, what, nine, ten games to play in September, as everyone else does. But if they're already starting from that low ebb, already starting with all those injuries, I, I really fear for them that you're going to see more poor performances and poor results around the corner. Oh, kids will be gutted with that. <laughs> they had their chance last year and, well, they fell short. So, anyway, it's my year. It's our year. Do you believe yeah. Eric Ten Hag can save the Manchester <laughs> United, mate? What do, what, what do you see happening at Manchester? Can we get back to the promised land? I mean, where do you start? <laughs> It's a basket case of a club at the moment. I don't think narrowly beating Southampton in the worst game of the weekend is necessarily a win's a win. Alex, come on. (laughs) A win's a win. Yeah, yeah, a win's a win. A win's a win. And it will just be points on the board at the moment is all that matters. You've got to say that watching that game, there wasn't much Ten Hag football being played, was there? It really still labouring around the pitch quite a lot. Um, So, yeah, I'm a bit of a pessimist. I mean, I, I really rate Ten Hag, don't get me wrong. I'm just pessimistic about really what can be done for the club in the short term. Yeah. Would they really give Ten Hag long enough to turn this round? Because I think turning around this ship is going to take a couple of years at least, and I don't know how patient they'll be with him. 
Mm. Yeah, I, get, I hear what you're saying, but uh, they're, they're surprising everyone at the moment, Alex, with a couple of wins. What about this young Arsenal side? They've got four from four. Do you think they can mm. hold that spot at the top of the league? It's only the third time they've got four wins out of four at the start of the season. The last two were um, in 2003, four, and 2004, five. Obviously, they won the league in one of those years. Um, so it's very rare for them to start this well. I mean, obviously, that momentum is huge. It's not the age that worries me with Arsenal, it's the depth. I mean, even in this game, it got it got hairy at times, and I think that was partly because Tierney just wasn't as good as Zinchenko in that role, almost playing like a central midfielder. That, that he got stuck around him quite a lot. El Nenny came in, and I thought it was typical El Nenny, very sideways in his passing, it slowed everything down. And that's just a couple of first-teamers, you know, not being available. So I worry about their depth in terms of actually being able to challenge City. When you think, you know, City could change all 11 players next week and, and still win comfortably, you think. Mate, just quickly, I want to ask you about Chelsea. So obviously they went mm-hmm. through what they went through last year with their owners and having to go through the sale and and everything like that. Do you, and at the moment, they're struggling to score goals. They haven't got any strikers. That, that, so there have been questions about their transfer window or their, their recruitment of ability to recruit players. Where do you see Chelsea at, at the moment? They've obviously won two, lost one. But they've, uh, they've struggled mm-hmm. to score goals. Yeah, they have. Um, well, they don't have any genuine strikers. Like, sorry, go on. They they don't have any genuine striking ability. That that's probably been the the question. You know, they they transfer. Do you see them going out to the market and trying to transfer and and, and tie some quality back to the club? Yeah, I mean, I think I think they will get a Damian done. I think they'll get that over the line. And I know that a lot of people are not very excited about that as a signing. He's not done well at Barca. He was poor towards the end at Arsenal. I think I'm probably one of the few people who thinks it's quite a good signing. Actually, Tuchel really wants this team to be a lot more vertical. He wants them to be playing a lot faster through the lines. And Aubameyang really gives you that. Arteta didn't want that at Arsenal. Barcelona don't, don't want that at all. So he hasn't really fit in for a while at the club he's been at. And I think Tuchel will really like having a player like Aubameyang to run on the shoulder, the last defender, to, to stretch teams vertically, um, give someone from Mount to pass to, for Sterling to, to play off. So I think that will get them in a, a decent position. It's funny that a year ago we thought they could be title challengers and, and suddenly everyone's writing them off just because well, they've lost Lukaku and gained Sterling. But for me, that's not a, that's not a terrible drop-off, is it? So perhaps we are underestimating them a bit. And if they get Aubameyang in, I think that could be really big for them. Ooh. Hey, Alex, everyone's talking about, always talking about the Chelsea's and the Man City's, the Liverpool's. But one of the teams close, you know, dear to my heart, because um, I played there in Leeds, is, is Leeds United. They've, they've had a couple of good wins mm-hmm. this year. What do, you, what do you think of their season? Are they shaping up that they could hold their spot up there in the middle of the table? Absolutely. Certainly they can hold their spot in the middle in the middle of the table and be kind of among the best of the rest. They're fifth at the moment. I'm not sure about staying fifth, but I've been, I have to say, really surprised by Jesse Marsh. I thought that things really would fall apart after Bielsa, um, simply because they were overachieving so much. It, you know, it was nothing against Marsh himself, but the, the, the level of that squad really was, was largely championship quality until Bielsa lifted them. And I just thought that things would... Uh, would wane, but the new signings have come in and looked really good. I think Marsh has normalised the team a bit. They're not quite as weird <laughs> in how they play. They're still as manic in how they press, and, and the style might kind of look similar, but it's, it's all on a bit more of a normal scale. You know, they don't 
race after the players man for man anymore. They're much more zonal in how they're pressing. So they keep their compression between the lines. They keep their overall shape a lot better than they did under Bielsa. So I think that's looking really good. I mean, they were outplayed by Brighton, but that's no shame in that. Um, Graham Park's doing an incredible job. And I, I wouldn't be surprised now if they, if they get top half leads. Mm, be interesting. Four games in, and it's an interesting uh, competition already. There's been upsets. We've been the big six down the bottom. They're starting to make their way back up top. But like always, it's a long season to go, and I'm sure come the end of the season, the big dogs will be at the top, fighting it out for the for the winner takes all. Appreciate you coming on the show, Alex, and sharing some insight on what's going on in the EPL, and hopefully my Manchester United can get back, but hey, it's been a horrible time, and probably not. Anyway, thank you so much, mate. <laughs> Cheers, anytime, thanks. There is Alex Keeble just talking about the EPL. You'll lose United. They're not too bad there, Kempe. Sitting fifth. They won their last two. Eh? Hey? They've been pretty yeah, happy. Ah, mm. uh, yeah. Well, got to, you know, like uh, like I said to you guys, you know, spent some time with the Leeds boys when I was playing over there. Not, mm. a, not a massive city um, when you've got two, a football team and a league team. Um, yeah. And just to see them up there, I don't know whether, like, like Alex said, I don't know whether they can hold that spot, but... It's good to see that they can possibly just stay in and around that mid table, and you know they're real passionate fans. Those those lead fans, I, I know that I know that having been to a few of those games and and seen them, and to see them up there, it's a real funny competition. You know, like you talk about Chelsea, and you know, obviously got Liverpool and Manchester City, and Man U winning a couple. Um, we watched that one last week, which was a good game. Yeah, those those teams, eh? Those names, is he? They just they roll off they roll off your tongue. But then you've got those mm. those ones like Leeds United. It's like, whoa, where they come from? Sitting up there, they yeah. should be they should be that far up the table. But you always get some surprises in that competition. I love watching it. Yeah, Brighton, mate, won the won three three in a row. So they're all right. Newcastle winning their last. Well, you got Leicester City. We know that obviously they were, they won the title years ago to upset everyone. Well, they've, they've lost their first three. But keep an eye, mate. They're Erling Haaland, eh? He's a freak. And, and the biggest thing, Kiz, Kiz, you'd be, you know, you'd love this, mate. Kiz, Erling Haaland, his input and his ability to add to the EPL. Have you been impressed, mate? I watched that game. He is a physically tall. He reminds me of um, Zelatan Ibrahimovic. Just how big and tall he is, and and physically dominant he is, mate. He's um he's hit the ground running. Six goals in four games. Yeah, nah, so impressed. And I think that uh, that comparison was lots on there. I haven't actually heard that one before, but you're actually quite bang on there. I mean, he's a really tall striker, isn't he? And you can really feel his presence out there on the pitch. The one storyline that I love about that, though, is his dad actually played for Man City. And so there was a bit of banter after that hat-trick on the weekend because he is now the uh, highest-scoring Haaland on Man City. But his dad clapped back and said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm still the highest scoring Haaland in the Premier League but I'm sure uh, like Alex was saying there it's, it's definitely not going to take long at all for him to overtake that that uh, record that his dad set his just uh, it's it's his strength is his best thing and he's just so quick for being how how tall he is he's just he's one of the more mobile strikers in the Premier League and he shouldn't be uh, by any means looking at his uh, frame but yeah like, like you were saying Izzy the way he scored that third goal I just felt so bad for the Palace defender there. He just like he couldn't do anything. He couldn't do anything. He went in with the shoulder, and Harlan just nudged him, and he was gone. 
You know, so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. But as a Liverpool fan, really felt that pain when Alex said that Salah was his uh, FPL captain. He was mine too, and he didn't manage to get on the score sheet. So currently still sitting eighth in the SCNZ league. But uh, yeah, we'll come back. Come back, season's on. You don't want to peak too early, mate. You don't want to peak too early. Trust me, you'll be right, kids. Come later in the year, that's when all the big dogs come out to play. Off the back fence with Tony Kemp. Saturday night, sitting in a packed room, watching the All Blacks lose their test for the first time to Argentina on home soil reminded me just how much this all-black team means to your average New Zealander. As the game went on and the mood was descending from camp anxiety to camp frustration, they free-falled that last 10 minutes or so. Calls for the referee's head were plentiful as the prolific meat-eaters continually repelled the all-black offence with some crucial turnovers. Could our steak really be that good? fueling these Pumas to feed on the men in black, I thought. And after the final whistle, it was the return of the what-ifs. Not from me, but from all that were present and who had witnessed the past fortnight's actions, where Ian Foster seemingly retained his position through to the World Cup. People asked, does he keep his job? Should have Razor got the job, others yelled. But here's the thing that I took away from the night. The public are at the end of their tether. They're at the end of this journey. And if the NZR aren't careful and the All Blacks lose some of the remaining championship games, it might just be the fans who walk and not the coach. Off the back fence with Tony Kemp. Oh, Kempy, I I probably have to agree with you, mate. Like, um, well, I do agree with you. The, The fans have had enough. I said before I walked back to my car after the game and uh, Mandy... My beautiful uh, neighbour here, she drove us home and um, yeah, there was people everywhere just couldn't believe it and, and the first name that they referenced straight away was Fozzie. And, and Fozzie's always going to cop it and he's been well running into a brick wall from the day he got the job. Uh, there was always uh, apprehension there that he should have got the job. So yeah, that's that's the question. Now is... Who is to blame and, and what do they need to do now? Is there mm. going to be change? Is Mark Robinson going to do a backflip? And there was a beautiful article written yesterday talking about the whole process and, and the makeup of the of the board and the CEO. And you've got uh, Stuart Mitchell, the chairman, uh, talking about it all and how there's just a real separation between board, players, Rugby Players Association, everyone's just so individual at the moment. There's no unity whatsoever, and uh, we're starting to see the repercussions from that at the moment. Um, so, yeah, some messages coming through, Kempe, on the on the text machine. I'm going to read a couple. This is the All Blacks' new normal. Lost six of the last eight. First time in All Black history we lost three games on home soil in a season. That is some damning statistics that, well, we're always ones to create history. And we've always been really proud of our history. And we never, ever, I hate reference it, but I never, ever wanted to be on the losing side for the ABs. And I would do anything possible to go out there and put on a performance and try and keep that 
that history, that that mana that has been forged over a hundred years together, and now we're seeing we're on the wrong side of the history, and we are creating history for the wrong reasons. And, and look, it is sport, and it is going to happen. But I guess when you've been a part of an organisation and a team that's got so much mana, it's just uh, pretty baffling, to be completely honest, Kimpy. Yeah, and the, and the thing too with that is, I, I think what people, you know, they're always talking about the team and the coach and the board and, mm. and everyone within the structure, but it just got me thinking, you know, like spending time around people, what about the external um, supporters that are, have been there and haven't really witnessed this or been a part of, a, you know, like those stats yeah. that um, show up, you know, all the losses and the, it, it's really, you're asking the question, well, how do we handle it? We've never been to this foreign ground before where our team, our great um, sea of black, just, you know, I'm not just talking about the All Blacks, but I'm talking about the fans and and even the, the people that follow you around the world, that are, they see an All Black team that is really struggling at the moment. They're struggling to string, string wins together and we just aren't used to it. And the question is, like, I'm, I'm just conscious that if they don't handle this properly, the the operational side of the NZR, you might actually start getting people who don't know how to handle it turning it off. And then all of a sudden, and you see this throughout sport, they ended up picking up another jersey. Now, have you ever thought of an all-black supporter picking up another jersey? Ever? I know, that's going to get to that in the Kempe. It's probably going to head down that line, and we're probably going to have a situation where we are struggling to sell out stadiums. And there was probably a little bit of that before the Christchurch game. Kenny Laban joins us on the line now. Morning, Ken. How are you this morning? Yeah, morning, boys. Yeah, very good, thank you. Uh, that's good. Hey, man, I want to go straight to this question because I know you've got an astute mind, especially in both codes. The role of David Kidwell as a defensive coach, but, but the role in general <laughs> that all the other international teams have taken, what's your take on that and how's it affected, I guess, the All Blacks' offence? Well, I think if you look at um, if you look at world rugby, um, and you look at um, the list of former rugby league players and coaches that are involved with world rugby, it is a very, very impressive um, list. Now, the name of the England Sevens coach just escapes me, but he's the current uh, world rugby coach of the year, and I think he played um, 170 games. Uh, in the English Premiership for, I'm not quite sure maybe whether it was Doncaster um, or not. Uh, then you, you talk about, um, obviously you talk about David Kidwell and then uh, Anthony Seabold who was at South Sydney. Uh, then, at the, um, then at the Broncos where he had a horrible time. He's now the defence coach with, um, with England. You look at Henry Paul. You look at Mike Ford from Leeds, who I think he played with Kempe uh, as well. Then obviously Sean Edwards. There is a long list of um, of rugby league or prominent rugby league players, and of course the most high profile of all of them is Andy Farrell, who played 370 games for Wigan. Plus he obviously played for England and Great Britain uh, as well. as a legendary figure in the game. Well, as are Sean Edwards and um, and the others. So. Uh, I just want to make the point firstly that the relationship between rugby union, rugby league, and the coaching and the tactics and the way that they're played, obviously there's some similarity. And in the case of um, of international coaches at the elite level, clearly there's some synergy 
um, as well. And bearing in mind, look, just looking at, you know, I know it's dangerous to take a one-off, but Kitty's influence or David Kidwell's influence the Argentina team on the weekend. Let's remember, uh, you probably talked about this already this morning, <clears throat> the All Blacks had 63% of the ball and 60% of field position. And um, to be honest, they never looked like winning. And David Kidwell, well, you and I both know what he's like. Uh, Kempe, he's a firecracker. Um, he's a hothead. Um, he's aggressive. He's intense. Um, he knows how to fire the boys um, fire the boys up, he knows what works uh, none of them were tackling around the legs they were all going in for the kill um, they always had more than one um, going in, they regrouped quickly, um, they were up and back in of course in rugby union you, you only have to go back to the advantage line whereas in rugby league um, where as you know the game is broken down ruck by ruck, you've got to go back even further so I would think he would be loving the opportunity and loving the challenge to be involved and, and I don't know if that was his first or second test uh, with the with the Argentina team, but uh, I would think that Michael Checker and the Argentinian organisation would be pretty happy with how they defended on the weekend against the All Blacks. Oh, mate, you heard it from Caleb Clark, running into a brick wall every single time. You did right there, um, Kenny. They were had numbers on their feet, and they had the way that they were attacking the breakdown. And every no matter what number on the back, they were get they were making a difference at the breakdown. But they also had people back on their feet, so it looked like the All Blacks and that All Blacks had to put three or four in there. So they were losing numbers on attack, and that's why we looked so compressed and 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 narrow. So if you're Ian Foster this morning, uh, Kenny, and you're going into review, what are you pointing at? Where are you going to go? How can we get any sort of uh, reaction for out of this group because I've touched on it early. I don't think this is Ian Foster's um, uh, down undoing here. Look, he's going to obviously take a bit of the brunt this week, but the players have to take a bit of accountability too because there was some moments there out there that they had control of and they weren't able to control it. So where does Ian Foster go this morning? Because they've got to stand and fight, bro. That's what they have to do. You know, this their tactics of um, trying to shift the ball and you know, there's pods here and uh, and pods there. Yeah. Surely they would have worked out with all their disappointment and all their frustration um, with their two and four um, wins over losses in the last six games that it's not working. And I would have thought you won't get a more graphic example of um, of that. You know, you, uh, you've you played in all black teams that have had 30, 30% of the ball and have won and won comfortably. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, and I would think that uh, the fact that they couldn't get through uh, doing what they were doing, uh, if you're looking for a strong indication of the need to change, well then there it is. You know, it's the old story about the definition of insanity. Um, if you're still going to do the same thing, and with regard um, to those big Argentinian um, forwards, you've just got to stand there and belt them. Um, and as I say, you've, you've got to be more aggressive. You've got to be have more more energy, have more intensity, and you go forward and that off the line them. You know, and I'm sure that their review would have showed that. I'm sure that they would have um, would be able to address that. And I, I would think that, you know, with the greatest respect, mate, some of those senior All Blacks might be coming to the end of their time. Um, and the reality is, you know, as long as you wouldn't, no one says anything. But the minute things start to go a little bit wobbly, then they have doubts about whether you deserve to be there. So you're dead right individually. Players have to, you know, play tough, play a bit, play a bit boring even. Um, and they need to win the fight physically and mentally in, in around the ruck. Uh, because, you, you know, I don't know if you know Kid Walker, he, he comes from, from Canterbury, but Kemp, you know, I know him well. 
Um, he's a fantastic guy, you know, and he's got all the skills you need of a quality defensive coach. You know, uh, bad temper, aggressive, play the game right, right, right on the edge, and of course, like every other coach at international level, he's a bad loser. <laughs> it seems that way, doesn't it, Kenny? You know, like when you're looking at the side, you 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 hit the nail on the head. You're going, come on, guys, just just stand up and own that collision space. It, is it down just that we may be getting to the back end of some some very good um, careers and that they need need to make the change? Because if you look at the other sides, they're bl- they're blooding younger guys who are just coming out there and and not taking too much notice of that all black aura. Well, two and four in the last six, or even worse, two and six from the last eight. Um, and as Izzy, as Izzy pointed out, there's only 15 blokes out there that can change that. So, um, you know, they take responsibility for the good and they take responsibility for the bad. That's the reality of being in the results-driven business at the elite level. When you've got players earning what they're earning, you know, it's not unreasonable for us to expect them to go out there, do their job and win. And I would have thought with two-thirds of the ball and two-thirds of the field position that, um, you know, time's running short for excuses. They just need to get out there and do the business. And I think if um, if they can show some resilience, and we just saw that in, uh, in South Africa in the second test, then uh, we'll, take, we'll take away some confidence in that. But, uh, you know, it's only, it's only winning that starts the trend and losing. Yeah, no, you, you're dead right there, um, there, Kenny, mate. And I know you've been a passionate passionate supporter of Ian Foster and I myself I've been I've been backing Fozzie but he's under so much pressure mate and he can't really seem to get so much right and and things aren't going his way so well, Foster uh, how does he how does he go about his mahi this week and he's been very very upfront with everything he's front of the presser and everything like that but how does Foster go about his week ahead of him well it can't be easy um, mm. It can't be easy mate, going in front of the global media four times out of the last six tests and trying to make yep. excuses for pathetic performances. Um, you know the expectation of the All Blacks historically, I think, is seventy-eight percent wins over losses. So to be in the situation for them, not only is it foreign territory, Ryan Foster, it's foreign territory for the fans um, and for the game. Um, and obviously, there's an argument from a global point of view that uh, the All Blacks getting beaten is good. Good's good for the world game, and it is, you know, because it means that there's more uncertainty in games. It makes the matches compelling. Everybody knows and, um, and believes that, well, not only know, they believe they have a chance. Now, in Argentina, have showed in the last couple of years, you know, given how lowly they have been, really, by comparison to the All Blacks and World Rugby, that if you turn up with the right attitude and turn up with an aggressive attitude in defence, you can beat the All Blacks in New Zealand. Um, Ireland have done that and now Argentina have done that with the same formula you know big guys banging hard in the middle of the ruck yeah it's a, it's a, a for, for a defensive um, coach in rugby league it's pretty easy to see that you you've got to come up with some tough blokes to try and beat that type of um, speed of line that they that all those teams are bringing there Ken well, you, t- you touched on the fans there and it's been a big uh a big chat this morning on the radio. Where, where do you think the fans are at, um, given that they've never been in this position before? Well, if you use... I'm not saying that social media is the ultimate measure, but um, you certainly get an indication how the community feels um, about things. And, you know, their view is that they're used to seeing... They're used to seeing the All Blacks win. They're used to the All Blacks being successful. Um, and they're used to... Um, 
um, seeing all black coaches be better, smarter, and more informed than their counterparts. And um, given the results which speak for themselves, they're not seeing that from the All Blacks. So, you know, the majority of people on social media and even in mainstream media have been calling for um, calling for Ian Foster's head. And I think if they were going to remove him, they were more likely to do that against after the South African series than they were against Argentina. So uh, I don't think his future's any doubt. I think they've made that, they've made that decision. Um, he's the one principally that's now got the responsibility to try to find a way out. Um, and lead the All Blacks back to the promised land. Um, whether they can do that, well, we need to wait and see. But I don't think speculating about a future, which is an easy thing to do, uh, particularly on social media, um, is, is going to help. He will know. He'll look at the numbers. He'll he'll look at the stats. If he's you know, is he going to be brave enough to put a question mark and have the tough conversation with Sam Kane? Uh, what does that say about Sam Whitelock? who has been a wonderful servant. But he operates and plays the game in the middle. These guys are, you know, they're regarded as legends of the game. Um, and they are, given their contribution and success. You know, but um, even the brilliant grow old. Yeah, no, I think that's the thing too there, Kenny. He's going to have to make some brave calls this week. Not only in, in, in certain positions, but uh, positions that have been well held by uh, players that have been around for, for a very, very long time. Quickly, just before we let you go, where does this All Blacks loss do the most damage? Is it to the All Blacks brand? our national pride, grassroots interest in the game, or the perception of New Zealand rugby? Well, I think I don't think it's going to hurt the game at the grassroots um, level. You know, I just, uh, most rugby clubs, and there's, what, 600 of them across New Zealand, servicing 145,000 um, players and, um, and family. And I know that, you know, here in Wanuamata, they just wrapped up the junior prize giving or standing room only um, on the weekend. So, you know, I think our kids and our volunteers who are the most important asset in any um, in any sport are still going to be there year in and year out um, as long as the kids have a passion for the sport. But I definitely think from a global point of view, from a revenue, sponsorship, gate-taking is an appeal. And, you know, um, I called the afternoon game on um, on Saturday on, um, on Sky, the Shield, game and um, we, you know I was getting instructions through to promote the tickets are still available for the test at Orange Theory um, Stadium so you know the All Blacks are hurting their own brand um, with their results aren't they? They are, they are, I went through the brand and Kempi alluded to the perception of New Zealand Rugby Board and what's been happening in the back room, it's been a bit of a bit of a shambles here Kenny but mate we appreciate you coming on the show and just quickly, I've had a message from Mark. He says, can you ask Kenny Laban if he thinks any team out of the top four in the NRL could make the grand final? If so, who? Well, um, I have a feeling that um, the Panthers, who have played so well um, without Luay and uh, Nathan Cleary, uh, and they're both due back in the next couple of weeks, um, are going to be a major threat. They're going to be fresh. Uh, and look how well they're going without those without those players, and they're still able to win. So you know, I think it's the Panthers' title to lose. Bang! The Panthers' title to lose. There you go, Mark. Appreciate you coming on, Ken Laban. Absolute pressure, uh, pleasure having you on our show, mate. Thank you so much, Kenny, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. No worries, boys. There he is, Jeez, Ken Kenny. Laban.
pretty on the on the money with everything. He's he's got a connection to the community too. That's one thing that Kenny has a real connection back to grassroots there, uh, uh, Kempi. But mate, um, yeah, Fozzie's gonna have to make the hard calls this week. I'm pretty sure we're gonna see some changes, aren't we? Yeah, look, I think Ken hit the nail on the head there when he talked about you know maybe some some of the the careers that have been lingering. It's time to look mm. at it and, and blood some fresh players in here. It's actually not a bad time when you think about it to blood those players too because you're sitting so far down the rankings. Um, you can always go back to that leading into the World Cup if you needed to bring some of that seniority back here. But if you have a look at what's happening around the world, people are just you know getting on with it and, and changing their teams around Australia, Argentina. You know They're bringing in that, that uh, young Irish team. They're bringing players in who they just know will get out there and do a job. And um, he touches on David Kidwell's attitude. Look, defence is all about attitude, is he? We know, we know that. And what he does, Kiddy, when, when he played, was always showed up defensively with a really good attitude. Mm. And you saw that from the Argentinians on the weekend. So, may I just... What Fozzie does from here on in, if I was to have five seconds with him, I'd say go and get a league defensive coach. It's been a big show, but why not celebrate? And, well, our next guest will be celebrating. Surely would have been a big weekend. Kempe, far away. Yep, the inaugural season of Tauhi basketball came to a thrilling conclusion on Saturday night when my Tokumanoa Queens upset the Northern Kahu in the grand final. Man, what a game. It's no wonder the Queens were able to achieve championship success with Tanya Tupu as their head coach. The former tall firm is on the line with us now, and I'm pretty sure she's only just got home from celebrating. Morena, Tanya. Oh, Morena. You're not wrong there. No, it must have been great. How's how's the head? Are the girls still celebrating? Uh, Yeah, they got on the plane yesterday. I stayed behind in Nelson to just recover a little bit longer. Oh, nice, nice. What did you say to the team at halftime to spur them on to dominate that third quarter and get the win? Um, well, we, we always know we always knew the first um, two quarters we would have to grind it out. And in basketball, championships are one in third quarters. Um, and so we knew that we would have to, you know, turn the corner at some point and it would, would have to be through our defence. And um, we've proven all season that our um, girls are one of the better uh, defensive lock-up teams in the league, so we knew that at some point um, we would um, grind it out and turn the corner. And um, also, you know, Jamie Nard um, was pretty. Uh, our import was pretty cold in the first um, half, and um, having seen her play um, all season, there's no way that she wouldn't um, not get fired up um, in the second half. So that was about to come as well, and and she also, you know, got fired up. <laughs> There was obviously a lot more that you were, you were playing for, Tanya, obviously with what's going on in Nelson. So the team was really uh, inspired, like you said, and they they had a lot, lot. What did it mean for the group to get the job done, um, being, seeing what's happened in Nelson? Yeah, we were really surprised because, you know, um, earlier in the week we weren't sure if we were going to end up um, heading that direction, you know, coming down to Nelson because of the state, uh, you know, the, the city was in. And then um, after we got here... It wasn't, you know, a few few disruptions of traffic and, um, you know, the, the weather changed and it's just such a beautiful week and all the locals were really supportive um, and it, you could just see the city just coming back alive again and it was really great to see and, um, 
you know, it was good for the fans that come out locally. Um, some of the schools came out, the Kudas, uh came came and supported us. So we were really glad in the end that um, we ended up having the championship here, and you know, um, you know, we really felt for the region. But um, having been here the last couple of days, we went out and about yeah. uh, went to Rabbit Island, looked at Tahunanui Beach. The city market was, you know, operating. So everything was like, you know, coming back alive again. So it's really good that. You know, um, you know, New Zealanders come around to the region and um, support the lo- local businesses and the cafes and that to get them back going again. They would have been very appreciative that, that you were able to go out there and support them and just uh, put some smiles on some faces that have been uh, uh, pretty hard done by over the last couple, uh, couple of weeks. But um, talk about your finals MVP, uh, Florencia. Playing with some kids after the game, Chagas getting 22 points. She was outstanding, mate. But um, yeah, t- tell us about her and her influence on this group. Oh, Florentia, or we call her Flo. She's amazing. Like she's only you know just turned 21 while she was here. Uh, she was drafted uh, pretty early into the WNBA. One of the youngest players. She's been playing in Europe since the age of 15. Yeah. Um, and so she's, in the last five years, she's developed her game and she's only just coming, you know, she's only just, she's on the way up as far as, um, you know, her skill level and she's just, you know, at trainings even, she's really helped the Kiwi girls and the development players um, grow their game at trainings and that's one of the things that um, we really worked on this year is, is, is our trainings and our, you know, practices where, um, our pros are so competitive and so next level that this is a chance for our Kiwi girls to grow their game and battle up against them at trainings. Um, you know, because, you know, when you match up in games, a lot of the time the other imports will match up with um, with our imports, but at trainings it's a little bit different. And um, that was one of the great things about mixing in those top-level European Euro Cup playing pros is you know those you know our, our seventeen year olds, eighteen year olds, those that are growing their game, um, get to see what level they need to be at, and 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 off the court too, you know their professionalism, at individual sessions, the way they approach their individual sessions in the day, their shoot, shooting um, on the shooting machine, how many shots they get up, um, and and their approach, you know, like you know Chaga spends close to two hours getting ready for a game she's got this amazing routine leading in you know she doesn't just rock up and think then turn it on she actually fires her engine up slowly and you know it's just a really beautiful thing to watch um plus she's one of the most competitive <laughs> people on the whole planet because she will just keep going to the last point at trainings we'll run games where like first to Lebanon, um she will battle it out with the other um, imports as well jamie nard um, will end up trying to guard her because she she wouldn't want um, you know Chagas team to one. So that type of competitiveness is, is awesome yeah. for our Kiwi girls. Oh, they would have loved it. The, the professionalism that those uh, superstars bring to the game and just the experiences and, and stories. You can only see it inspiring the next generation. Quickly, before we let you go, I've just had a look at your website. you got limited stock, but did the girls get a wee gift from you? Did the girls get what? What do you mean? Sorry. Are we are we gift from uh, a bit of jewellery? A little bit of jewellery. Oh, did they they receive yeah. any any gifts from you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did actually. I um, at airport yesterday, I sent off our um, imports a uh, nice New Zealand gold plated gangster looking um, chain. Ooh. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I, 
uh, yeah, I tried to put, you know, we have this halftime thing where we, we, we put a halftime shot at a shoot around, a gift down on the, on the, on the line for a half court shot and everyone, you know, mm. chucks up the ball on that. And, um, it just depends on what, what the prize is. And sometimes I put jewelry down on the line and, you know, the girls are fussy these days. They're like, oh, that's not my style or this is that. And, you know, but Chagas took everything. She, she, she didn't mind taking any, whatever the prize on the line, she would, um, she would go for it. So, yeah, it was great. Thanks for the <laughs> shout out on that. I still have side nah. hustles. I'm not just a full time coach. <laughs> <laughs> when making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.